Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to season three of the Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an Agile age. The Agile World podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. Welcome to a special episode of the show brought to you in partnership with Arlington Economic Development, where we discuss issues related to the workforce, the role of place in the future of work, and the role of the creative sector in a larger business context. We call this Return on Creativity. Today we have an excerpt from our September 14 event, Return on Creativity, Return on Leadership. I hope you enjoy. So welcome to this panel. We are, we are really set to have really great voices in this panel. And I'd like for each of you on this panel to just give us a, a little brief uh, background of who you are and who you represent. Let's start with you, Kimberly Blue. Good afternoon, um, I'm Kimberly Blue and I represent George Mason University. I am what's called a graduate career manager in the School of Business. And so I work with all the graduate students as it relates to their career development needs. So I'm pretty busy. <laughs> Good time of year for you. Paul yes. Spires, <laughs> let's hear from you. Thank you, Susan. I'm uh, Paul Spires. I'm founder of the new P&L Brand Purpose Institute. It's a corporate culture and management consultancy. And I'm also host of the new PL Principles and Leadership and Business podcast series, which is a global weekly business leadership focused podcast. And where, what time is it where you are? It is quarter to seven in the evening in the UK. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure. Carrie Hatch, uh, just a, a wonderful legend in our, our area. Give us a little bit of uh, background for you. Good afternoon. Delighted to be here. I'm Carrie Hatch. I'm the CEO of MDB Communications. We're a full-service advertising and marketing communications firm. We work uh, regionally, domestically, and go globally for, generally speaking, consumer-facing brands. You might know some of our work uh, locally here if you're in the uh, DMV, as we affectionately call it, the DC Lottery, Chevy Chase Trust, but we also work internationally for many telco companies as well. So delighted to be here. I would be uh, delinquent if I didn't mention Roy Rogers restaurants, go out and buy a roast beef sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> What's exciting about this uh, group on this panel is especially that you represent very different uh, backgrounds and very different industries. But that also gives us the opportunity to hear about the threads of um, elements that really make your approach to problem solving and successes really relevant. So I'd like to start with a question about, you know, being prepared for the unexpected. I mean, this year has given us, um, it's put out the welcome mat for what's unexpected uh, that no one could really anticipate. So I'm going to go in reverse and, and start with Carrie. Um, tell us a little bit about how you and your industry, I mean, advertising is a responsive industry. It is 
it's a forward thinking industry that has to predict what people are looking for and what people are wanting. So you are you are in the in the catbird seat to to be in the position of talking a little bit about what's unexpected. Some people might say that I'm the canary in the coal mine. Um, <laughs> yeah. I see Paul's laughing. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting industry. I'm I'm hopelessly in love with what I do, but if you uh, expect certainty, uh, you're in the wrong industry. Um, it, you need to be able to accept the fact that things are not going to be certain. Um, we are responsive, as you mentioned, Susan, to the needs of brands, uh, depending upon what category and industry you specialize in. For instance, some of my worthy competitors that were very heavy into tourism and hospitality are down 85% in terms of revenue. But being responsive to our clients, which are very diverse, is also the key to success here. Um, there's nothing terribly certain about what we do. What is certain is our brand's needs for our council, whether that's uh, CSR initiatives to be responsive to societal opportunities and needs or advancing their products or services. And in some cases, based upon what's happened over the last 18 months, that's totally reframing, totally reworking and working independently and collectively with your team and your clients in a distributed workforce. Well said. Paul, I'm going to guess that there are some of those same principles that you must carry in your work as well. What can you tell us about maybe some things that have been unexpected in your world? Absolutely. I mean, I tend to agree in principle with Carrie. I think the last 18 months have been, the extent of the crisis has been extreme, but anyone in business who expects to have some sort of certainty in business is really reading yesterday's news because I think businesses had carries uncertainty inherently within it. And I think within that uncertainty carries challenges. It also carries enormous opportunities. And I, many of the clients we've spoken to over the last 18 months, if you think about the, the levels of innovation and creativity, they've the necessity has forced upon them, I guess, in terms of trying to reach customers when the shutters have come down on a, on a retail store, for example. They've had to go online. They've had to find new ways and new channels to, to reach their customers. That level of innovation and that level of creativity has, although it's been a challenge, has also excited many customers and many clients. And they're excited about how they bring some of that learning from the last 18 months into their business moving forward. So whilst necessity has bred and forced innovation and creativity over the last 18 months, I think the aggregate effect over the medium term will be positive on business because many have discovered levels of innovation and creativity they haven't experienced for a very long time. I think that in our um, preparation call prior to this last week, you, you had something to say that stuck with me, which is you said, we're, we're emerging from a, a phase of complacent innovation. So, um, you know, I think that that really uh, says a lot about uh, what's probably been a, a hidden or an under, undervalued opportunity for many people for a long time. And I, I think that I've seen uh, a lot of that example at GMU and Kimberly Blue. You can talk a little bit about 
you know, how the programs that, that you've been doing, students are not there. You, as we said, you can't really read the room. You know, you, uh, you don't have them all sitting in front of you to be able to understand what their needs are specifically. So you've come up with some very interesting approaches to how to provide those experiences. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, 18 months ago, um, we had to pivot and the university pivoted quickly um, to do a lot online and work with students. And I would say um, having and being a part of office where you're student facing, what I do is really student facing. And I had to really pivot and think about how can I effectively deliver services to students online? And so um, doing that, it was real interesting because Normally when I do workshops, I'm able to read the room. Um, I'm able to see the students' responses and kind of you know, anticipate you know, where we're gonna go next in a discussion. Well, being on Zoom, that was a totally different kind of phenomena. You can't read the room, you're reading heads. <laughs> so when you're reading heads, you know, you're not really reading the room the way you think you are. And so uh, having to kind of work through that allowed us to be more innovative, actually it allowed us to touch more students because students were able to log on easier than trying to get to the campus, park the car, and then come into the workshop. So it became um, a way for us to be more innovative in how we touch students. Several other things, uh, I work closely with a couple of programs and one of the programs there's a requirement, they have to do an internship. And so I began to think we're in the midst of a pandemic. Everything's gonna be online. This is not gonna be the same as 2019. So we had to think out of the box. How can we give students that experiential experience uh, of learning uh, in an organization without having them physically go there? And so we thought of a program called Research Ships. You know, Research Ships help students to work in organizations because of what we're talking about today and why we're here today. Being resilient, having to think out of the box. Companies did, as um, our first speaker talked about, they were flat-footed when we had to pivot. And so we came up with the idea to help companies kind of move, you know, post-pandemic or we're still in it. Um, you know, what are they gonna do? What's their new business model gonna be like? And so um, we thought we would pilot it and it actually turned out really well. Several of the organizations yourself, uh, Arlington Economic Development and uh, Arlington Federal Credit Union came on board, didn't know what was gonna happen, but it ended up turning out really well. And there were variables you can't control and I always prepare for the unexpected, um, but this time it actually worked for us. So those were some of the ways I had to think out of the box, not being able to read the room, or not being able to be student facing and it actually worked for us and it worked for the students. Yeah, you actually came up with a way to uh, provide them with that real time experience and took advantage of technology at, at the best in the best way that you possibly could under the circumstances. You know that that really, um, really leads us to what how important it is to encourage collaborations and a healthy work place. And, you know, that is another thing that, again, without being um, in the room together, without being able to pick up our social cues, our professional cues from each other, uh, what are some of the ways that you have 
thought about and reached in a little bit deeper to come up with uh, collaborations and a healthy workplace. Carrie, I'll, I'll go over to you. So um, I'm the first to admit uh, when this first started for us, March 13th of 2020, I said, oh, this will be over by May. Um, and eventually I'm a people person. I get my energy from people. For me personally, this was a bummer. For many on my team, it was a bummer. Um, but at a certain point, you embrace the notion of you can be bitter or you can be better. That's right. And um, I stopped feeling sorry for myself because um, there were so many that were uh, so much more uh, less fortunate than I. And um, I turned that around in two ways. Um, you know, in terms of my team, I started trying to personalize touch points, and I use that metaphorically, of course, because, you know, social distancing is really not fun. Actually, it sucks. Um, but sending individual cards out, personalized cards to my team, sometimes I would be sending out shots of tequila, you know, different fun activities. I mean, we all did all kinds of trivia and what have you online, but sending personalized notes for people uh, helped me and it helped them. Um, care packages, you know, giving out, you know, additional days off as coupons and what have you, fun things, not to make light of a serious situation, but to take some of the misery out of being, and I hate to say it, but Zoom calls all day long can be trying mm -hmm. uh, for a lot of people. Now I better understand why people turn off their camera, you know. <laughs> But um, so you can be bitter or you can be better and try to make the best of it. And for me, staying connected, and that means to our clients, our team, our vendors, I am someone who likes to meet in person, um, but that's a personal choice. And uh, as I said to our controller yesterday, I'm not going to die on this hill. I'm not going to be an employer or a leader who insists upon people to violate their own boundaries to keep a position. I'm not doing it. Wow, well said. We're all gonna take that be uh, better or bitter <laughs> away with us for sure. <laughs> that, that really sums a lot of it up. Paul, I don't know if in your world, if a lot of your work had already been in a face-to-face -face environment, or if you had already been moving into a direction of, of a lot of, you know, consult over the, you know, online or over the phone. So tell us a little bit about your work um, model and how you've had to look at collaborations differently. It was a bit of both uh, because we work on a global basis as well. But I think the pandemic's only really accentuated the challenges or the opportunities that a business already faces. So those clients that we've worked with who are committed to purpose and committed to creativity and collaboration and positive company cultures, they found a way to get through the pandemic and to continue to find their purpose and create a great culture and collaborate because they are committed to exactly those things. Mm -hmm. And those company cultures that were already perhaps toxic or they struggled to collaborate and struggled to come together as a team, that it only accentuated the, the divisions within them. So I think, mm -hmm. Things like the pandemic only serve to accentuate the challenges that already exist in a business. And many of the clients that we've spoken to have found 
very unique ways to keep that company culture going. And, and Carrie gave some great examples there as well. And many of the technologies that collaborative technologies and visual technologies that people have installed and utilized over the last 18 months, they will bring on stream as they move to a more hybrid model as well. But I'm not concerned about the great companies that went into this pandemic because they will find ways to collaborate, find ways to maintain that culture because they're committed to it. And it only exposes the challenges for those who already had those problems. And maybe before the pandemic, we're able to paper over them or create a veneer of some sort of positive company culture. It's only exposed that, I think. Now, yeah, the cream always rises to the top <laughs> when they're good. Um, Kimberly, you know, in your world, um, you know, academics have a, a fairly set path about how they deliver, you know, your content, let's say, you know, you are, you are there to bring a curriculum to your audience, you're there to prepare these, the, the next uh, generation of a workforce for whatever they're going to, whatever uh, area they're they're specializing in. So it seems to me as though this has um, given you and given GMU an opportunity to think differently about interdepartment collaborations and how that has really uh, driven what the health of your workplace is like. So tell us about that on more, you know, kind of on the faculty side. Excellent. Um, as I said earlier, we had we all had to pivot um, to figure out how we were going to effectively, we can deliver services, but effectively deliver our services to students. And, and as I mentioned earlier, um, one of the things that we wanted to make sure is that we were all on the same page in how we were working with our students. And part of that was really with um, some of the services that are student focused, really partnering with the academic side, the faculty, and how we were going to work with students. I teach a class too, but my class is a little different in the way I teach it. But that's where the research shift came in because me and uh, a faculty member, Dr. Uh, Victoria Grady, came together with this program to think about how we wanted to affect students um, in this kind of pandemic. And it, like I said earlier, it really worked out because we were really checking up on each other. It was a way for us to make sure that the students were okay, because that's one of the ways that we wanted to collaborate to make sure is everybody that's in our sphere and everybody that we're working with, are they okay? Um, because like I said, you can't read a room, you're reading Zoom. And so that made me be more focused in on who I work with even across campus, within campus working with faculty, but even across campus and looking at other services that we might have to bring in to make it an effective year for our students. And so um, when we talked about some of the things that we were gonna do with our students, I was very pleasantly surprised that most of the faculty, most of the staff that we had to collaborate activities with were on board. Um, and they felt that uh, everything that we were doing as related to students and especially this research ship, it really worked out. I always say that I can control the pieces of the puzzle, but I couldn't control you know, the reaction, the reaction of the students, the reaction of the company. And so um, we were fairly lucky in that all the pieces were well put together 
But the students, I think, because of our collaboration and interaction with them, did well in these opportunities. And the companies that we work with did well. And faculty that we talked about uh, this particular opportunity with work well with us. And we're very excited about us doing this. So one other thing that I would say in regards to this whole process, and it, it's almost like our well-being. I made it a point uh, as someone um, in the graduate uh, school to check up on colleagues, to make sure that they were doing okay, and that if they were to deliver a service to our students, are you able to deliver it? Are you able to, able to deliver it in the way that in which you want? So checking up on them and how they were gonna work with our students to me was very important because that can affect the health of our student and our program. So it was kind of three different prongs that we were working with, the students, the faculty, and us, the staff, to make sure everything went well at George Mason University as it related to collaboration. I, I think you can claim that you, you that you are the unique ones, that you are the pioneers of that approach because uh, <laughs> that, that is not something that is the typical experience with having students interface with public sector or the private sector, I'm yeah. sure. So um, bravo. You know, I, I think that a lot of the things that you're saying really fit well with kind of the, the next piece of this, which is how do we can maintain a renewed focus on the work-life balance? I mean, people, I think, talked a lot about work-life balance prior to the pandemic from the standpoint of whether people were working part-time. We had very many fewer people who were teleworking um, at the time. Um, and now we have seen, uh, you know, what's being typically called the great resignation, you know, that people are um, have experienced this past year in such extreme ways that they are just abandoning their positions altogether uh, for better or for worse. And so I think that for a company, and I'll, I'll move over to you, Carrie, now to say, you know, what do you, this is going to be an even more important component of retention. You know, we all talk about in economic development, about business attraction and retention, but we also talk about the talent pool and we talk about, you know, how are companies, um, do they want to come to a place like Arlington for the talent? And is the talent going to stay here? Is the talent going to be restless? Is the talent going to, what do they need to be able to stay committed to working for you if they're the right fit? So maybe that's given you some opportunities to be relieved of people as much as it is to look at who you really want to foster. But talk a little bit about that, because that's a, another leadership challenge of, you know, what do you do to make sure that people are um, staying uh, connected? Well, the good news is um, it's an opportunity with a distributed workforce. Uh, we've hired people, you know, in uh, Washington State and Florida and New York. It gives us the opportunity to hire a more diverse group of talented mm -hmm. individuals. Uh, my industry uh, has less than 5% people of color. And um, I don't say that proudly. Um, I say that as an opportunity to look nationwide or even outside of our own country to attract and retain people. So from that standpoint, 
it's a wonderful and brilliant opportunity. I will say it's also a humbling thing as a leader for all the leaders that are on this call. Just know that there is no model of perfection as we go through this. We're building the plane as we're flying it. Everyone is. Anyone who says they aren't are lying. <laughs> okay. Um, so we're doing the best we can. So there's empathy for the workforce. There's empathy for your employer, the leaders. Um, your own self-care through this um, is an important factor because the optimism, authentic optimism, back to your point about being authentic, um, authentic optimism is an imperative and how you model your own behavior will be reflected in your team. So I, as you know, Susan, for many years have been very keen on attracting and retaining talent to the DMV. Um, you know, native Washingtonian love this region. Uh, in order to make us more competitive, we do have to have uh, a diverse <clears throat> workforce, but the cost of living here can be a challenge. Working mm -hmm. with a distributed workforce allows us to acquire that talent. They may or may not have to be in the DMV. Wow, and and so in a lot of ways, um, you know, you you may wind up with with more Zoom calls <laughs> with your staff rather than fewer because they're they're in different time zones and probably in different cultures. So, um, Paul, I want to hear from you a little bit about what kinds of things that you're coming up with or taking away that you're advising, and how are you consulting your with your clients to say. You know, here are the things to be on the lookout for, um, particularly when it comes to collaborations and a healthy workplace. Because, um, you know, let's—I'd love to hear what what you are thinking about as you are doing your um, advising. I think Kimberly gave a great example just before in terms of one of the key threads to to retention, and that is the collaborative communication. You know, having a dialogue mm -hmm. with those stakeholders, not just a monologue as a leader. And many of the clients we're speaking to, they're, I don't think any of these things are particularly rocket science. They are thinking about, with intention, thinking about the, the people you're speaking to, communicating with them, not making any assumptions about what they understand or what they don't understand, but asking them the questions and bringing them into the conversation rather than talking at them. And I think the statistics show, and certainly many conversations I've had also demonstrate that many people leave a job not necessarily because of salary or or even promotion but because they feel they're not listened to they're not engaged that it's mm -hmm. always leaders talking at them not with them so I think some of these things are really basic human principles rather than any sort of business methodology to ensure retention it's treating people with respect and trusting people and treating people as peers in business, regardless of whatever role you happen to play, whether you happen to be a CEO or you happen to be an account exec or an assistant or whatever the, the case may be. We all have a voice. We all have an ability. We all have a creative contribution to make in that business. And, you know, I think for leaders to recognize the relative privileged position they hold and remember when they started in their roles or when they were in mid-management mid in their roles and how they felt and the voice that they feel they didn't have at that point in time. As I say, I don't think any of this is anything more than how we relate to each other as humans. And the more we speak to each other with that respect and with that empathy and with that authenticity, 
the more we will retain people on the basis, not of their role and not of their salary, but on the basis that we respect them and they understand that. You know, you, you, I think, touched on something that Antonio led off with, which was that moment of making sure that you pause um, along the way. And pausing in this scenario, um, I think, is a way of remembering that we need to listen. And that rather than a leader being the one who's doing all the talking, but to be able to stop and hear the people, whether they're your peers or whether they are your employees or whether they're your clients is, um, can be a tough lesson to learn. Uh, but this has certainly, I think this set of circumstances is a good reminder of how important that key, not rocket science, uh, uh, but but uh, harder to do than you know than it sounds is to, is to really listen um, and um, you know I I I want to also um, just hit on the fact that we one of the important components in this leadership role is how do you stick true to your principles while you're um, really moving around and changing physical spaces I mean that is you know, you, you don't have the confines of the physical structure to be able to say, let's meet over here. Or, you know, just while we were in this meeting, somebody had left a laptop in this conference room that, <laughs> that I'm in that I had reserved and wasn't thinking that there would be somebody else in here. But that's going to be uh, certainly uh, something that will be an ongoing challenge is how do you find the way to uh, connect in these shared spaces that are going to be completely different than they were um, 18 months ago. So, Kimberly, I, I don't know whether your classrooms or your offices are taking on a different role than they once were, but tell us a little bit about how George Mason is looking at that. I mean, you're on the on the cusp of, you know, building out a new extension to a campus here in Arlington. Right. So I can only imagine that architecturally, that's going to be one of the really important factors is how are we um, managing to uh, stick to our principles in a space that's not the same <laughs> as it was? You know, that's, <clears throat> that's really apropos or appropriate so much now. Today, I'm working from home, but there are a couple of days a week I do go into the office. And it has been a struggle, I'm not gonna lie. It's very different to go back in. And I think we as George Mason University, I think many of us on campus, I don't know if it's a struggle for everyone, but I think it's different for everyone. We've entered into the new normal. And with this new normal, I remember pre-COVID, we were talking about we didn't have enough space at Arlington. Everybody doesn't have an office. We have an abundance of space now because you have people now that are working from home several days a week. Um, we're building the new annex, you know, um, to that space as well. But it 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 brings up several things that I want to go back to that I think are real important. It ties directly into this: how people show up daily mm -hmm. is key. Mm -hmm. That is so key. Whether you're physically there or whether you're on, you know, digitally, whether you're, you know, on your laptop, do you have your camera on or do you have your camera off? It is almost the same thing when you would go into the office. How are you feeling that day? So it's the same thing. And so we are going to have to get used to that new normal and at a university setting. 
we as faculty and staff have to be mindful of what we do and how we do it because we're influencing students. They're watching us. They're watching everything that we do. So how we navigate this is going to be key. And I would say for my job specifically, how I navigate and my authentic uh, self in regards to how I'm feeling daily is key because I coach students. I do career coaching. So I'm talking to them of how they have to show up on their job. So it's almost like what I exhibit and what I model, the students are going to be taking away and thinking about how I'm talking to them and what they have to do on their job. So George Mason as a university, um, it's how we show up. It's being mindful of every day, being present, um, being focused as much as you can be. And then I, I always have to drive into students to let them know. And it's something you said, Carrie, about, you know, everything has expanded. It's so true. When I'm coaching students about job opportunities, I have to remind them how you show up is going to be key. It's different than going into the office for the interview. You might interview on Zoom, but do know your competition has tripled because people over in Peru can interview for your job here in Northern Virginia. So be, be very mindful of how we do things. And I think for my job and George Mason University, I will say one thing. We have a great university, great president of the university of how he came in the midst of the pandemic and had to take on what he had to take on. And I think he's led the university well. And I think the university, we have failed fair, fairly well these last 18 months. I can't complain. We, are, we have the freedom to do certain things. And so I think it has worked out well for us, but I just would say everybody needs to be mindful of how you show up every day to the job, whether it's on Zoom or whether it's in person. This is a question that came in the chat that is, um, that I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw in here because it's really interesting. Um, um, one of our participants says, as a small business owner, one of my issues has been dealing with various government, commercial universities and colleges is that many of the employees seem unprofessional in their communications. How are owners, managers <laughs> handling these issues? And I can't help when I when I read that, I thought unprofessional. Is that just because they're wearing T-shirts and flip-flops? You know, is it how how does that translate? Does that put us in a completely different are we staying our professional best? You know, I, I joke that, you know, I, I have to wear earrings all the time because it reminds me that, you know, I, I'm showing up in a particular way. So I, I'd love to hear your experiences with how you are, you know, really making sure that people take you seriously, regardless of where you're sitting, if the cat is behind you or, you know, what what's happening in your uh, physical world. Uh, but is that a, a detriment or does that make us more, you know, approachable? Paul, what do you think? I mean, this is a perennial <laughs> conversation over the last 18 months, I think. It's, um, I think there are two sides to it. There is, on the one side, I guess it depends on what your definition of professional language is, because everyone has a mm -hmm. different way of communicating. And, um, and that could be generational, it could be cultural, it could be many other different aspects of, of conversation and communication. The other side of it is, I think, in an ironic way, this more remote environment has, has made us all more human. You know, you've seen that 
that CEO or that managing director that maybe you only ever saw in an office in some sort of suit. You've now seen who or his kids run past the back of the screen and, and you've had a laugh over it and you've had a conversation around it and you've drawn some sort of emotional resonance to, to her or him as a result. So I think it is challenging to, to find a meeting point with lots of different conversations and lots of different ways of approaching conversations and communications. But I do think, again, the aggregate effect is to, the irony is, but the aggregate effect will be that we've, we've come to understand each other in a more personal way over the course of this pandemic in a way that we didn't get to know each other in the office or in some of our more formal communications. But because of those laptops falling off the end of the desk or kids running behind or dogs <laughs> barking in the background, we've all had to accept that there is life as well as business. And I, I, I can't help but feel that's got to be good in the, in the, in the, in the medium term. I wonder if anyone's measuring that, but yeah. <laughs> it sounds fascinating. Uh, Carrie, um, you know, you've probably had, um, you know, I think that in your world, I mean, I I'm looking back remembering that when Arnold um, Advertising had moved their headquarters to Arlington and they had gone to quite an incredible extent to have a space that was not only culturally reflective of their work, but very future, futuristic looking. I think somebody once said, it looks like the inside of an iPhone. You know, it was, you know, super white. It was, uh, it was an, an absolutely jaw-dropping um, kind of an environment. And I think that your industry is probably noted for having those unusually um, eccentric and unique and beautiful and eye-dropping, eye-popping kinds of environments. So how do you, you know, now that people are not in those spaces all the time anymore, how do you uh, retain that level of the principle of I'm, I'm really functioning from the place where I am? How do you do that? Because that's where a lot of the creative juices come from, is being in that kind of uh, wildly interesting environment. Yeah, it's a challenge. Uh, I mean, I so appreciate uh, Paul's remarks and Kimberly's remarks, um, because it, it's interesting when you think about internal teaming on an assignment versus how you have to show up for a client, or in our case, pitch work. So the image you project and how you show up is quite different because to your point, Susan, um, like it or not, we're evaluated on not just the content of the ideas that we present and the prospect of success for whatever brand we're pitching. It's, do you wanna work with these people? How do they connect with each other? You are judged on your space, you are, collaborating. I believe that advertising is a team sport. Team for me doesn't mean distributed. So that's something I've had to overcome. The background that you see behind me, while it is virtual, is an actual photo of our reception area. This gives me the opportunity to show up looking professional, despite the fact that I'm on a green screen. A lot of my staff, my team, have embraced a uh, seamless, if you will, or a step and repeat with our logo on the back. So that when we pitch business, we're branding ourselves. 
So who, and I agree with how you show up and frankly, you're right. I mean, I know more dogs' names. I know more kids' names. I know, I mean, all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that because I fundamentally, it's the people. That's, that's mm-hmm. the talent behind any agency. It's the people. Um, but how you show up for business and the discipline with which you execute that is important as well. Not every client wants to know every cat and dog's name. Um, they're, they're more about what's in their best interest. We put together early on in the um, pandemic, a little thing that says, I'm not here to be average, I'm here to be awesome. And we had some guardrails, if you will, in terms of um, expectations from each other in, at that time, what was the new remote work policy. You know, believe in yourself, believe in each other, be positive, take responsibility, share the credit, ask for help, um, offer help, give respect, be honest, don't leave others hanging. So all of those things have lent themselves to better connective tissue, better ideas, better performance, frankly, uh, from our client's perspective, and have allowed us to exist and be successful in something that was totally new. And I was that bitter person who had to choose to be better. But generally, I think we all at some point had to and embrace the things that allowed us to be successful as humans with our families, but also earn and contribute to the organization uh, and to our clients. Really well said. You know, I'm going to go back to you, Kimberly, for a minute, because um, I had um, another George Mason University and and I should say that, you know, for the sake of I I quickly went to the acronym because we live in a place where everything is an acronym. uh, And I referred to you as GMU. And there may be Mm -hmm. folks on this call who are are not familiar with George Mason University. It's one of the state's largest uh, universities, if not. Is it the largest? I think it is in Virginia. Yeah. But, you know, I often, I would also like to ask you how you prepare students for going out into how they're showing up for um, their work experience, their coaching experience. Mm -hmm. And I'll I'll tell you a a story that um, right after the grad student that I had from your program, I had another George Mason University um, undergrad student who joined me uh, for an internship. And on our first day uh, of connecting, he showed up in a, with wearing a tie, uh, you know, a jacket and a tie. And I was, I, I was so shocked. I hadn't seen anybody in a tie, <laughs> any gentleman in wearing a tie and a jacket in so long. And I said, you're wearing a tie. It took me so by surprise. And he said, well, I'm, I'm here because, you know, this is a work experience. So, you know, he didn't come out of your, out of your area, but, you know, a completely different division of, of Mason, but Tell us a little bit about what that's like of how you are um, coaching, because again, you know, the, the lines are blurred of right. you know, whether whether you are there um, in a buttoned up appearance or whether you are there in a super casual one. So, you know, there, there's got to be some um, fine line of guidance that you're giving students uh, about how they're expected to show up. 
Absolutely. And we tackle this. First of all, we tackle this anyway, whether it's a COVID situation or we're not in COVID. So that's something that we do on the regular. But when we had to pivot last year, you know, students were in a panic, like, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to get a job? You know, and so we pulled them off from the ledge and said, yes, you are. But in pulling them from the ledge, it was a matter of how they were going to show up. And it was real interesting because I teach a class anyway where they have to do videos for me about their experience. And I'd be coaching them anyway about their videos of what's in the background. You know, I don't want to see your boyfriend run across the back of the room. You need need to make sure that your environment is in such a place where you're taping this video that is presentable. And so that was just one thing in regards to the video. In coaching them in regards to interviewing online was a whole different ball game. Like I said, pre-COVID, you need to show up and you need to show up well. But being on Zoom, Skype, uh, Teams, these types of things are platforms that companies are using, interview stream, that are using to interview students and interview people for opportunities it was a whole new, it was a whole new area. And I laughed because I have seen some things that I probably should not have seen. Um, I had to coach students in regards to how they need to look. You still need to look presentable, even if it's from the waist up. I don't care if you have on shorts or whatever, but from the waist up, you need to look like you're ready to play ball and ready to play, play ball seriously. And I agree with what Carrie said, how you show up professionally is key because you're still being judged. If you were face-to-face with the person, they're looking at you know, what you're wearing to the office. Even though you're on Zoom, do your hair, make sure you don't have a t-shirt on. You know, Some simple things that you would think they would have known about, they did not. And then the other thing is, is where you choose to put your laptop and the background behind is key. Make your bed up. If you have a roommate, you know, like simple things like this, I would laugh because when I look at these videos, I'm like, are you kidding me? And so when we did mock interviews and I mocked some students, we made sure that their backgrounds were appropriate. If you have to put a virtual background on, put a virtual background on. Um, make sure that you're in a space where there's not a lot of distractions because even though it's on Zoom, they're still judging you. Now they're judging you in a different way. Normally, you'd be able to go to their campus or to that office to interview. They're coming into your world, and they're seeing more of your world and how you kind of represent kind of your where you live, how you live. They're able to see this. And so I had to kind of press upon students that it's still appropriate to be professional even though we're in a digital, in a more virtual types of spaces. And believe it or not, many of the companies that come to George Mason University that I work with and talk to, they prefer virtual. They prefer that they don't necessarily need to come to campus to interview our students. They'd rather interview them virtually, which poses that you know very um, thing about making sure that you show up appropriately and professionally. And so students, what I have found, are starting to do that. Um, But it's something that we tackled way last year to make sure that students were doing the appropriate thing. And we had, you know, mock interviewing. And the other thing is, is how to utilize um, digital, different digital platforms. You know, always prepare for the unexpected. 
Prepare for technical difficulties, but don't let that throw your game. Your screen will always go out. You will always talk when it's mute. But when you finally get back to where you need to be in that interview, don't let it throw you off. You still are able to get that job. You just still need to make the great impression. This impression now is in a virtual space. So we, we work with students on that daily. It's kind of ironic when you think about the generation that is uh, the digital generation <laughs> where they are more comfortable uh, mm -hmm. on Instagram and, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all of these platforms that are very visually driven mm -hmm. uh, that they, uh, funny enough, you know, they're, they're not shy about posting um, pictures <laughs> of themselves in just about every scenario. Um, but yet, you know, they, they don't have that awareness of the, of the right. shift between, you know, what it looks like to be professional and um, mm -hmm. what it looks like to be um, very, very, maybe a little too social. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So um, I um, wanted to, um, oh yeah. <laughs> so we uh, have a, a comment that is worth sharing. Um, <laughs> Uh, Hal's daughter's first day ever as a lawyer at her new firm was yesterday via Zoom. She had sweatpants and slippers on with nice <laughs> clothes on from the waist up. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think there's anyone on the face of the planet who has not had that experience of, you know, wearing uh, super comfy from the waist down and, you know, you know, something professional from the waist up. As long as you're wearing your earrings, you're good. Uh, <laughs> so I, I really love the way that you have all contributed to this great conversation. And I wanted to just um, kind of cap off with the, the piece that is probably one of the most amorphous and uh, challenging to really even uh, put a label on or figure out how to, how to measure, because you may not be able to, um, is how do you have happy employees and customers? Now, Carrie, you may have um, kind of scratched the surface of that by picking out uh, care package items that are, that are bound to at least make people realize that their, their happiness quotient is different than it, than it once was. But Paul, how are you looking at that? I mean, obviously, if it goes beyond, I think we're at a point where it goes beyond satisfaction. You know, we, we talk about customer or employee satisfaction with their work or with their um, experience with a company. If they're going to be a repeat customer, or if they're going to stay um, as an employee for a long time. But I'm, I'm going to guess that um, the happiness factor is going to play a bigger role than it once did um, as, as kind of rising up the list of what's important to people, whether they're on the receiving end or whether they're on the, you know, providing service end. So, Paul, tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit about how you're looking at that, like the, the happiness factor for both employees and customers? Well, happiness is relative and, and it's subjective, isn't it? So that's, it's a very Don't hard thing to the measure. question, come no, on. No, no, not at all, not at all. <laughs> but it's, it's very hard to measure, but I think the first yeah. principle for measuring it is to understand where employees or customers are now, because mm. you can't measure what the happiness is now if we haven't measured it six months ago to understand 
where the shift comes negatively or positively. So I think for most companies and certainly some that we're dealing with, we're looking at ha happiness in the whole person. So we're looking at, at it in their role, but we're also looking at it and what they want personally from their role as, as well as professionally. What excites them in a personal level, how we can mold that into their role. Is there a way that they can meet their personal passions and their professional ambitions and how we pull that into the conversation with their role as well? Because I think the, the time is well past for us to turn up separately in our professional lives and our personal lives. You know, we don't put on, certainly we don't at the moment, but we don't put on that figurative suit to, to draw your earlier example and turn up to work and be that professional woman or man and then go home and be something different. We are a whole person now. So in terms of measuring that happiness, the way, the way we're doing it at the moment is to draw a line in the sand with some of our clients and say, where are people personally and professionally now? Where are their ambitions personally and professionally? And what are the questions around that? Because too many leaders and CEOs, I think, and managers ask the questions that they want the answers to that will satisfy the professional question mm -hmm. rather than asking the, prefer the, the personal to that individual and asking them, understanding what they feel in relation to themselves rather than just what they feel in relation to their business. So I think some of the conversations we're having now, as I say, are really trying to understand the whole person and where they sit and what they're bringing to work personally and professionally and how we can mold those two things together. And then it will be a six month or a three month or a nine month or a 12 month review to pull that back in and see mm -hmm. how successful we've been as leaders and managers and CEOs in terms of molding the professional and the personal together and ensuring those professional and personal ambitions are somehow meeting themselves in that role in their job. Well said. Uh, Carrie, I'm, I'm going to guess that you've probably had some surprises along the way. Um, and how? tell us a little bit about what, things that you've discovered uh, about what might make your customers and your employees happy. Wow. Uh, loaded question. Um, <laughs> but yes, um, you know, talk about reading the room. It's reading the whole person, uh, including your clients. Some clients will run up to you with open arms with a huge hug. Other people, you know, even at the uh, Washington football team uh, suite the other day, you know, will just give you an elbow. Other people won't show up at all. So, you know, everyone is different. And Paul, I, I don't think I could improve upon what he said. It's that sweet spot for each individual person. That's why it's so hard for managers and leaders to figure this out. It's that sweet spot between what works for them personally and professionally. And where does that, where's the intersection with business goals and opportunity? Because mm -hmm. that's where the happiness lies. So imagine that you've got that as a distributed workforce with all different sweet spots. That's what we're looking for. Clients are the same way. Um, I was just up, you know, uh, last week visiting a client on site. They couldn't wait to take their mask off and say hello and catch up on everything and what's happening with your kids. And, you know, let's do things in person soon. Other people have never been back to the office since March of 2020. So Knowing your clients, knowing where they're at in this great experiment is key um, to being a participant in each person's happiness. 
because that's what we want to do. Um, I earlier said I wasn't going to die on this hill, and I'm not, but I'd be foolish if I led you to believe it wasn't exhausting to try to figure out what that is for every individual, but that's my job. That's my job. So, you know, being flexible, having clarity of expectations, being flexible, uh, and having that empathy, I think will get us through this. And I honestly believe we're going to be more connected, the, con the uh, connective tissue for the relationships, whether that's internal to my own team or with our clients, I think we're going to be stronger for things like the kids and the cats or the elbow bumping or whatever, respecting that other person's needs is I think centered to success. Carrie, you're making me hopeful mm -hmm. that maybe we can be get, we can start getting rid of corporate mottos. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> it's, 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 it's much more about the, about the individual relationship. Kimberly, I'm gonna give you kind of the last word on you know, how you are, uh, you know, again, you know, obviously one of the things, the key pieces in academics is to successfully find a way for the student to come out of the program ready for the real world and ready for prime time. Uh, and prime time is, is, you know, there's a lot of channels out there now. <laughs> they, they're they're going to be binging and, you know, I'll give you all the, all the media analogies, but Nonetheless, I think that that uh, is something that it would be very interesting to hear from you in kind of that last word piece of, you know, how are you satisfying the parents as well as satisfying the students? Because it's often the parents who are, you know, driving whether the student is going to come to that school and what they're going to get out of it. So tell us a little bit about how you're looking at that. You know, thank God I'm on the graduate side of the house, so I don't have a lot of parents to deal with. So ah. that's a plus. But I will say, dealing with the different groups of students that I work with, I think the, the key thing is, is um, how students are managing themselves and what's important to them. When I coach and work with a student, I always sit down and my first thing is I can be very transactional or I can be transformational. And I don't like to be transactional. That's, you know, the resume, and you know, just kind of very surfacy. I like to be more transformational and talk to them about their values. What are their deal breakers? What are the things now that we're in this new reset, new normal that you have to redefine that you thought was important to you pre-COVID that has now become important to you as we're in this pandemic. And so students are having to rethink their whole um, kind of personal missions of what's been important to them, how they navigate the workplace, how they uh, are developing work-life balance. And so I kind of help them walk through that. My job, I like what I do because like I said, I can be very transactional, but being transformational gets them to think deeper about who they are and being their authentic self in the workplace and being authentic, you know, with their with their families. And as everybody has said, because of we're living in a virtual space, everybody has had to do that because they've seen your house. 
They seen whether you you have books or you're in your library or not. They seen the kids run around. They seen that they've heard the dog bark. So I think that that helps them with their own personal values. And what I try to do is make sure that we discuss that now. That's a part of the coaching process. That's a part of who they are. When students are looking um, for opportunities and jobs, you know, I talk to them not just about the job and just about the transactional. I talk to them about, okay, why do you want this position? How is this going to help you and make your life better because you applied for it for a reason? And so what is it that you wanna do in going from A to Z to make this work in your world? And so I think that that's very important in how we are approaching. And then something that Carrie said, I think she said it in passing, but it was real key. In regards to the business schools nowadays, or just any department or anybody that's kind of pushing students out there to go get opportunities and jobs, especially business schools, because I'm in the business school, we have to rethink things too. Professors are rethinking, what, what are we teaching our students? Because this is a new business model, a new business world now, where we will never be like March, what was it? March uh, 1st, 2020, ever again. We're totally different. And so knowing that universities have to rethink, okay, we're graduating students and are we graduating them for the world that we have now? Is it appropriate? So we're having to make, you know, changes and thoughts about, you know, what are we producing? And like I said, thank God I don't have to worry about the parents, but when you're when I'm working with a lot of MBA students who are already working and they're coming to see me, that can be challenging in a good way too, because they're challenging themselves and their workspace and their work world and what they're doing. And they're rethinking their work-life balance. You know, they're working at particular companies and they want work-life balance. So we're having to rethink, you know, those types of models of the types of students that we're producing. And, and when you're coming to college, getting this degree, what does that mean? And so that's how we're, focused in on kind of this new normal, this new reset, I think it's a positive thing because I think it gets back to people not being so robotic, but being really true to themselves of what they really want out of out of their life and out of their world of work. Oh, thank you. You know, I, I don't want this conversation to end. And uh, Kimberly, we're, and we're gonna be hearing more about education in, in our December event, but for today, I want to thank you all for the way that you have just given such wonderful, um, you know, insights and um, information and uh, ways that you have approached your leadership, um, because that is really telling that across the board, it really does take unique personalities and unique and constant drive. You're 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 doing you're doing a lot of it in many different ways. So thank you again, all all three of you for being on this panel and contributing to a really great conversation. We've gotten really good comments uh, in the chat, so we're we're happy to uh, to say that you you've contributed very well. So thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Agile World podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.